Courtney Matsoki from Azuro Dream Travel, and this is Locali. In this episode, we are stepping back in time. Picture this. Medieval castles and stone villages perched atop cliffs that overlook a patchwork of olive groves, vineyards, and fruit orchards. A slow pace of life, quiet and serene, unspoiled Italy. Welcome to Sabina, also known as the Sabine Hills. Here, about 60 kilometers or 37 miles northeast from Rome, we find ourselves sitting with Sally and Guido of Convivio Rome, a local small business that specializes in Italian cooking classes and culinary activities that promote environmentally sustainable and socially responsible culinary tourism. So I would like to welcome Sally and Guido of Convivio Rome. Ciao. Benvenuto. Ciao. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you for having us. Thank you guys so much for being here. How did you guys meet? You might want to go into what your inspiration was to begin Convivial Rome. Um, we met in Rome, and it was through a friend of a friend many years ago, and I had come over just to teach English as a foreign language, and within about three weeks, I met Guido, and that was it, really. <laughs> it was, was it love at first sight? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'd thrown my three coins in the, the uh, Trevi fountain. That's why I came back to uh, Marion a Roman as well. Oh, oh, that's the key. That is the key. I've heard to throw the, the coin in the Trevi fountain. <laughs> so basically we were, were running in early 2000s, around that time, we were running a tour company in Rome, actually, a small, very small tour company. We're giving walking tours around the city of Rome. And uh, uh, we started getting requests for, at the time, for uh, cooking classes. People wanted to get out of the city of Rome and try a cooking class. And uh, since I always had a a passion for cooking, and prior to um, that time, uh, I would have been working for about 10 years of my life uh, as a food editor, I thought this this is a great idea. So, uh, so we started running just a few cooking classes here and there, uh, maybe once or twice a month, and uh, they became more and more popular. So um, once we moved to the Sabine Hills, um, about five years later, we decided to start, um, to start cooking classes and cooking holidays uh, full time. So it, was, it kind of came from demand, so to speak, and, and passion as well. So you guys are located in the Sabine Hills. Um, Some people say Sabine Hills or Sabina. Um, It's a really interesting region that a lot of people don't really know about. And it has a very particular history, an interesting history as well. So um, just a little background. Um, The Sabines were an Italic people who lived in this area in the Apennine Hills before the founding of Rome um, in the 8th century B.C., They kind of had a tumultuous history with the original Romans, who were mainly men. And according to scholars and historians, Romulus, the first king and founder of Rome, kind of had a lot to do with some wars in the region with the Sabine people. Um, Would you like to kind of tell the history of your region or your area? Yes. From that uh, um, episode about the uh, rape or rapture, rapture and rape of Sabine women which is a very dramatic episode, which is part of the legend of the foundation of Rome. Then, then eventually uh, the Sabine actually ended up being uh, a big part of Rome's uh, history, the city of Rome. And uh, three, out of, um, uh, three out of the seven kings of Rome were from the Sabine Hills, were from around here, from Fala Sabina, or the ancient name actually called Cures. And uh, there's, there's plenty of archaeological evidence of that as well. 
And uh, so that, that tells you the importance of the Sabine tribe in in the and then their contribution in the foundation of Rome. If you if you go near the Tread Fountain in Rome and there's the uh, Palazzo Quirinale just at the back, the Quirinale was their hill. You know, Rome was made out of seven hills. And uh, that was the hill that was uh, conquered originally by the Sabine Hills and kind of uh, developed. And it comes from the name Quirino. Quirino is the uh, their god. It be like uh, god Zeus in uh, Greece. So it was their the most important god. That they, uh, the hill was named after him. But the most important, actually, the most of the... Uh, beautiful uh, buildings and uh, villages and, and uh, towns that you see here actually date back to uh, the early Middle Ages, and that's really the the, the true, rec- truly recognizable uh, background historically of, of this area. Uh, you have an early uh, monastery here, which dates back to um, uh, 600 um, AD, called the Fafa Monastery. It's still working as a monastery, probably one of the one of the oldest in Europe. And all around about uh, around a thousand years ago, uh, people start building uh, villages on top of the hills, and that's for defense. Because we have a lot of invaders after the fall of the Roman Empire. The Lombards came all the way from Sweden, from southern Sweden, and settled uh, here and in other areas of Italy. Uh, we have many and uh, many others. So the local people uh, kind of started seeking protection from the local aristocrats and lords so those uh, people will build the castles and uh, and everyone else will build a uh, more humble homes just surrounding the castle so that's how the villages were uh, originated around here in, uh, in the Sabine Hills and in other parts of central Italy as well. Right yeah it's extremely interesting how of course um, all of these as you were saying the medieval villages they all are there's so many in that area perched on top of these hills and as you said it's for protection from um, invaders. So why did you choose Sabina? Um, I know you were doing these tours in Rome the walking tours um, you started doing some culinary tours and people had interest in kind of finding some interesting trips outside of the city of Rome. They wanted to see more of the authentic side of Italy, the countryside. So why Sabina? Why this area? Uh, Sabina, for me personally, um, has a very important place in my heart because it takes me back to my childhood, living in Rome, growing up in Rome, because that's where I'm from, from the city of Rome. My parents, as many other people back then, and we're talking about when I was little in the 70s, they would travel to the countryside, to the, to, to the countryside that was on their side of Rome, so to speak. So for us, it was the north side of Rome. And uh, to get good food, because that's where good food was produced in the countryside. So we'll come around here. And my dad actually had a good friend that had a big, a large farm and uh, had it going um, for a long time. And uh, so they would produce, uh, we'll go around cheese producers, we'll get cheese and ricotta freshly made, and uh, maybe some salami and guanciale, prosciutto, and of course, uh, olive oil, because this is what the area is famous for, beautiful extra virgin, super light in flavor um, olive oil to take back home, to take back to Rome. So we will make this into an excursion, sometimes a couple of days uh, kind of staying over uh, with, with friends and we'll, we'll just go around and collect the best food essentially and uh, we'll take it um, 
back to Rome. <laughs> so this was my one of one of my memories and as most important memories um, about this area is related to food, of course, uh, and wine as well. There's, there's a little bit of uh, <laughs> wine being produced around here, and uh, always um, uh, love the, the the landscape. Uh, of this area, so uh, full of um, olive groves everywhere, and uh, also fruit orchards, and um, so for me it was just a dream to move up here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, that area was one of the first areas that had the DOC recognition for olive oil. Exactly. Was it not? Precisely. So it was back in the 70s. So before any other uh, olive oil producing area in Italy. So Sabine, Sabina, DOP olive oil, so as you were saying, um, protected this national of origin olive oil came first way before uh, Tuscany, Umbria or anyone else. Sabina is located in south central Italy. So as you were saying, it's, it's right outside of Rome. It's less than an hour from Rome, yet it also neighbors um, another very famous region, which is Tuscany. Except there are no tour buses, nothing commercial. It's truly off the beaten path. Still, your location is quite convenient for travelers. So let's discuss how convenient it is to get to Sabina from Rome, but also how accessible it is to other areas of interest. Absolutely. Uh, there's, uh, well, there's the, the good thing, and actually one of the Many reasons why we moved here is that there was already an excellent uh, modern train taking you from Rome up to the area, uh, up to the local station. And uh, um, it's a train that departs every 15 minutes, fully air conditioned, and, um, you know, it's, it's on time pretty much all the time which is sometimes an exception, <laughs> generally. But um, in this case, it works really well and, uh, and essentially stops pretty much anywhere around uh, a semi-central area of Rome. So anywhere you are in Rome, you can catch it. And also essentially picks you up from the main airport, um, Fiumicino. So it's, uh, if anyone comes by train, by, sorry, by plane, and uh, just jumps on the train that that departs from inside the terminal. So it, it couldn't be any easier than that. And uh, in, uh, in about an hour or so, uh, it reaches the Sabine Hills. Do you um, get to the train station? There are buses as well if people uh, want to catch public transport around. So you can get around the area um, by public transport or what we do with all our tours and our cooking holidays and olive tours, wine tours, is that we will come and pick you up. So it's very easy yeah. to um, uh, to like come and, and visit this area um, uh, without uh, needing a car. It's very accessible. Uh, we've had so many people say to us, oh, gosh, it was so quick. You know, I thought I'd be traveling forever, but in fact it's a – a, a direct line and also um, the other thing that we always do is we give people we send people train directions like really I find out where they're staying in Rome and uh, and give them from door to door uh, you know times etc timetables how to get everything so it's very very easy to get to us. Yeah, so Sally's very very careful and precise uh, in, that, in doing that and sending the directions and that's one of the most frequent comments we've been getting, uh, you know, how, how precise the, the directions were to catch the train. So uh, very, very easy. 
I'm so precise because I've traveled a lot, you know, around Europe and America, Australia, England, uh, Southeast Asia. So I know what it's like to get to a foreign country and not know where you're going. So it's really, for me, it's really important that I give really, really precise, um, you know, directions. So it just takes the stress out of it, makes it much easier, you know. Yeah, and it makes people feel taken care of. Well, it's always an adventure on the Italian trains or, you know, public transport, but you kind of have to have that open mentality. You kind of have to go and know that things just aren't going to work exactly like your home country and just kind of be open to that. And but it, I think it does help when people like you, you, you know, you guys, like you said, will show up at the train station or bus you know, station help to kind of say, hey, here we are. You guys are yes. OK. Everybody's taken yeah. care of. And I think, no, you know, nobody. Uh, or not many people realize that you, you know, the train station begins in the airport. You know, I think that's important to kind of note because when you arrive at the airport, you don't have to go anywhere. You know, it's, it's all right there. And especially you guys are so close to Rome. It's kind of like a, almost a direct, you know, a direct line. So that's really important when you're traveling from place to place, especially when you're tired and jet lagged. It's always important to me anyway. <laughs> So now we're going to talk a little bit about um, your definition of sustainable or slow travel. In your opinion, what is it? And how do you feel that um, travelers gain a more authentic experience by supporting local businesses with this philosophy? Well, I think um, sustainable travel is more to do with uh, low impact. Um, You know, so you have low impact on the environment, um, uh, and also it's taking time to really enjoy a full experience when you're traveling. So, you know, in the true form, it's slow traveling. You're not rushing to somewhere just so you can tick it off the list. You're actually going for a whole for a whole experience. I think um, within that, uh, people get a chance to meet the locals. They get to spend time with us. They get to enjoy the beautiful um, scenery as well. Uh, We've got a lot of uh, tours within medieval villages so they can really get a chance to feel like what it's like to be a local or see an authentic part of Italy, which I think you miss if you're on a tour bus or you miss if you're on a cruise ship, as in, you know, like the the very fast-moving sort of type of travel which uh, you end up, you you tick the box and, yes, you've been there, done that, but you don't remember anything. I mean, I've seen people with us, um, they'll get to see the view from our balcony, from our home terrace, and they'll just stand and stare because it's so beautiful. They can't believe it. They've seen it in uh, picture postcards, you know, but they've never seen it in real life. And it's that sort of experience where they have of breathing in and out and just thinking, oh, wow, I'm finally in Italy. That's the, the sort of feeling I think that people can have when they they um, they take a sort of a slow travel philosophy to um, visiting Italy. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's also with small groups. That obviously yeah. small groups are more sustainable, a lot more sustainable than big groups. Because first of all, you don't need um, you don't need a big bus or <laughs> or huge cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we, we only we drive around in a in a uh, small uh, mini bus. So. Um, uh, for nine people, it's like a nine-seater, uh, and so so that's that's our size more or less. You know, maximum eight people. On certain tours, you might go up to twelve, but that's pretty much it. So it's very personalized. It's very personal, and people get to get to enjoy it a lot better. And towns don't get overloaded with 
thousands of people at a time, uh, which is what happens sometimes in, in uh, other areas of Italy. And uh, I think I don't think that Sabina will ever be like that because it's kind of this little secret area that's uh, tucked away between Rome and Tuscany, and uh, not many people know about it. So it's uh, it's off off the beaten track. I think being off the beaten track also means being more sustainable, in my opinion. But that's a good point that, you know, it is more personal. It's when you are uh, traveling in smaller groups because you get to know not just the other travelers, really, but um, also the locals who are planning these experiences for you. And so that creates those memories. We've had so many travelers with us who, you know, they come and they say, you know, we did this large group trip once, but this is just totally different because we tend to spend more time in one area where you get to know the culture a lot better. And that creates those lifelong, you know, memories that people don't forget. You know, you aren't going to remember taking that picture in front of the Coliseum. It's going to be that local experience, you know, that kind of off the beaten path, you know, experience that you have at the Coliseum, maybe that you're going to remember. So um, I think it's important to, you know, really focus on sustainability uh, when we choose our travel experiences. Um, and on that same line, I love that you guys collaborate with your community and small producers in your area to give travelers a local experience. In that way, you're able to establish personal connections to, as you were saying, this very untouched area. So let's talk a little bit about some of the experiences that you offer travelers who desire a slow travel experience. Well, um, well, first of all, because uh, there's a whole series of them, uh, and some experiences are for the day, just for the day. Uh, so it's a day trip from Rome, and uh, it could be a cooking class or a wine tour or an olive tour. We actually explain everything that needs to uh, be known about olive oil and what makes olive oil so good and uh, tasty. We have some food together as well. And uh, same thing in the cooking class and the olive, uh, sorry, the, the wine tour uh, actually taken to uh, a winery that's a real working winery. So it's not set up for tourism. We go and speak to the winemaker um, and not to some tour guide that will rush um, 100 people at a time around. <laughs> it's just us talking to Massimo. doesn't even speak English, I'll, I'll do all the translation, uh, of course, and, uh, and interpreting, um, and that's, that makes it really authentic. It really explains his passion in uh, making wines. So this is an, an example of what we do. And, uh, cooking classes are always, uh, say, the ingredients we use are all from local producers, and uh, I can point, I can stand on my terrace and point where the wine comes from, where the cheese comes from, and meats and everything else. <laughs> so it's all very much, very, very local. All these experiences can be combined together into um, into sh uh, short holidays of uh, three or four nights. And uh, so we combine together some cooking classes, some olive oil tours, a little bit of touring around these beautiful villages, the local monastery. And that's always in collaboration with uh, very small local businesses, mostly producing food and wine, but also some uh, very, very high quality artisans. For example, once we finish uh, our cooking classes, we usually go to the local monastery of Farfa, which is not just a monastery, it's a small village uh, hosting a whole range of uh, of different very small businesses and uh, there's two in particular that we really like one is a cheese maker 
uh, they, they make pecorino cheese, so it's uh, made out of uh, sheep's milk. And they sheep, we actually see they sheep uh, grazing around from our terrace because we are a little bit up high compared to the farm. And uh, so farm to table, absolutely 100%. And they sell they, they cheese there at the monastery in a little shop. So we take people there and the smell, the you know, the sweet smell of the ricotta just been made. Uh, even just that is an experience. Uh, and, um, and there's this other uh, people making linen for a hundred years. So they still have the same machinery, the same looms they've been using for a hundred years. And uh, they supply the Pope, the papal palace, the presidential palace in Rome, and make beautiful fabrics. And it's, it's unique. There's no other place left like that in the whole of Italy. And I would assume very few left in, uh, in the world. And uh, so it's a great way to support them and uh, take people there because, you know, what you get from there is absolutely uh, incredible. It's, it's really top quality. I think also with all of our experiences, for example, when we take people to the linen shop in, in Farfa, is that um, you have the person that's actually making the, the linens there. So they've got the ancient looms. We take the time, you know, they take, they take the time and we take the time to find out exactly what our, um, our guests want, you know, if they're looking for something in particular. So I think that's all part of the experience. We've had so many photos from um, people that have come to visit us to show us where they've put that tablecloth or where they've used that, you know, tea towel or that apron or whatever. So because it's so special, you know, it's they're, they're quite unique. So. They're very passionate. All these people mm-hmm. have a great passion for what they do and this is something that's uh, not easy to find nowadays. Mm-hmm. There are a whole lot of people that do things, you know, that they make beautiful things to to eat as well of course and drink mm-hmm. uh, like everything else so that that just um, alone I think is a great experience right and as you were saying you know they purchase something from these local producers and they go home with it they put it in their home and it's not just something they bought somewhere it has a memory it really evokes a nostalgia and that is an experience that they will remember it has meaning it's something that you keep in your home and it and it has meaning. Um, for your whole life. So, and these are really only the experiences that you can get by using small group tour companies um, like yourselves, like us, because you just don't get those same experiences in a large group. Um, It's first of all, much more rushed. um, But secondly, as you were saying, you, you know, you really connect to these local producers who don't speak any English. They aren't used to a small group, but they just want, or a a large group, I'm sorry. um, And they do not you know, they really just want to share their passion. Um, some of them dying arts that you just won't see anywhere else in Italy. Um, so it's really an amazing experience. So thank you guys for supporting that. Um, <laughs> <Our> pleasure. <laughs> so your also your business philosophy is to provide travelers with a true Italian experience. Um, and for this reason, um, you were talking about, of course, you do the half day trips from Rome, which is amazing if somebody is staying in Rome, but you also will have multi-day trips, the four and five day culinary holidays. And you provide accommodations in a 1000 year old medieval village perched on a cliff near your family home um, called Tofia. So how does staying in Tofia provide travelers with this true Italian experience? Well, I think um, Tofia itself, um, it, it is a, it's a medieval village. It's 
and very well kept. It's a very small community. Uh, there's absolutely no tourism that's there. I mean, really, the only tourists or foreigners uh, that come into the village are people that we bring in on our on our cooking holidays. Uh, it gives people a chance because they're they're put in accommodation in small apartments, and these apartments are in buildings that are at least 500 years old. So um, you've got that experience of, I mean, they're light and bright and, and um, you know, spacious as apartments, but you, you get a chance to uh, feel what it's like living as a local there. So the also the breakfast, um, you know, we have breakfast down at the local cafe that's in the main piazza um, every morning. So people then, you know, sit around the table and chat. So it's a very sort of social situation. Um, because the population is... Um, small in Toffia, you know, the locals that want to practice their English will come up and chat to them as well. So there's, you know, they'll get to meet uh, local people, you know, within that sort of um, atmosphere. Very relaxing. Yeah, it's very relaxing. And also uh, the evenings, uh, the meals are held um, at, a, at a home restaurant. So you're going into someone else's home, you know, that's a local there, and um, so that's another experience. You know, they'll tell you the history of the the home itself, um, you know, uh, and the food is very much local, you know. So Absolutely. it's all, yeah. you know, everyone's very proud of the fact that they're, they're, um, they're using local ingredients, the produce is the best, you know, people are here for the food, you know, for the whole experience. And so a lot of people are very excited, you know, to have uh, foreigners in the village. So it's quite a unique experience, really. Right. How many times can you say that you can, or have woken up in a 1,000-year-old medieval village, you know? So feeling like a local, you know, going to the markets, just hanging out, you know? Um, so that really is an incredible experience to be able to provide people as well. We're going to switch gears just a little bit. I would love your opinion on the environmental effects of mass tourism on Italy and how has this inspired you to create more sustainable experiences for travelers? I know, Guido, you said you're from Rome, so you might have some really interesting insight on this. Uh, yes, well, the city of Rome, I've seen the city of Rome um, changing uh, quite a bit. It's still a beautiful city. I'm not saying that it's not. It's absolutely right. beautiful to visit. Uh, but just, uh, you know, just uh, quite a change um, since mass tourism. So we're talking about maybe 20, around 20 years ago, 22 years ago. Um, people coming in really, really large numbers. And it changed. One of the, one of the things that it changed is the, um, the shops, first of all. It's, you know, that's usually uh, something that you notice straight away. So all family shops, it could have been a little, you know, shop run by a tailor selling beautiful shirts or... Uh, gloves or leather bags and all that that's gone because now there's it's all about souvenirs uh cheap uh gelato and pizzas you know by the slice <laughs> you know you notice it uh very well so the whole um even just the the you know the economy of the place has changed um uh quite a lot and you know in a way it's not as easy as it used to be to to enjoy it, to enjoy the city in a more relaxed uh, way Unless you know the places, you know, maybe a few back streets. So, you know, when, when I go to Rome and take a walk around Rome, which we do regularly because we're so close to Rome, um, I choose my own little secret alleyways and, um, and spots, <laughs> uh, which are not tourists. So you can find that too. Um, 
but yeah, so, so, you know, obviously, and obviously we try to do the, we always try to do the opposite. And obviously you see that in other cities, not just Rome. Uh, but we, we always, uh, we always been inspired to do the opposite and um, actually, um, again, um, get people an experience, make sure that people appreciate what's, what's here in a very relaxed um, atmosphere. Uh, walking around again, having a look at markets, and uh, uh, that's part, part of the leisure. I think also we uh, we offer people a, an experience that what Rome or um, other places were like before mass tourism. Exactly. So, so we're yeah. really um, we're, we're we're seeking out places where you know there are still the artists and artisans that are still there. You know, in the little cantina, maybe some people have got a home museum or. Um, you know, someone is making material like there's a, a tailor or um, it's really just... Basket maker or something. Yeah, basket maker. We've got artist studios as well. Like we really try and take people into areas and, and places that what Rome probably would have been like maybe 40 years ago, you know. Yeah, or even less. Or now. 30, 20 yeah. years ago. So it's sort of um, the inspiration is try to to relive you know yeah. what it used to be yeah. like or the authentic sort of true side of Italy really Absolutely. yeah exactly and I think the the purpose the goal my goal in this podcast and also through our creating our own travel experiences um, at Azura Dream Travel is to inform people uh, that their travel decisions the decisions that they make and the type of travel they support really does affect the authenticity of the country as well, because if we make more intentional choices in our travel, it will help to bring back authenticity to cities like Rome and Florence and Venice and even Milan. So I think that it's really important to, you know, like I said, inform people about their decisions because we each decision we make, we all make a difference in supporting these local artisans and producers and, and hopefully, slowly, slowly, especially after what we've seen this past year with coronavirus, you know, we're hoping that people will be more intentional in their travel choices. And we saw a little bit of that before. I think, you know, people starting to think more about traveling in a more authentic way, you know, um, but some people still don't know how to do that. So I think this is why it's important to highlight companies like you guys and like us who are really supporting locals, the local economy. Um, and it kind of goes into my next question about why sustainable travel is so important um, right now, um, especially um, after, as I said, what we saw happening with COVID, um, where travel was at a complete standstill for really over a year. Um, and it's slowly, slowly we, coming back. We see um, people starting to like travel again, which is so inspirational. Um, but it, we all know it's going to take a time, take some time. Uh, and um, but why do you think it's sustainable travel choices are so important, especially right now? They're always important, but especially right now. Well, obviously, uh, it's it will be um, it will be a new discovery. Uh, it will be a new way to to travel. Uh, people feel more comfortable uh, when there are less people around, <laughs> even just that. And uh, so it will be. Um, of course, it will be. Important from uh, an economic point of view as well uh, for for Italy for the more rural areas of Italy this this idea of discovering more than just uh, city centres 
uh, will be beneficial and uh, we'll keep, again, we'll keep those uh, traditions um, going. So it's it's very, very important uh, right now. And so it's quite an opportunity, actually, for people to discover more uh, when they come around, you know, come over to Italy uh, thinking, oh, maybe I want... I don't necessarily want to be uh, standing in a line for three hours to see something. Um, you know, I'd rather go to this where there's more space out in the countryside and see more. Right, and I I do think you know we've all experienced what we've all experienced in the past year has kind of made us really rethink uh, a lot of things. And from people who have are are finally starting to travel, they've come back and said, you know. I just really appreciated a slow experience this time. I wanted to savor every last moment. I appreciated every little thing. And so I do see a change in the mentality of travelers moving forward. So even though this isn't a new way of travel, I do feel like people are really being more intentional about their choices. So it makes me really hopeful. Um, So moving along, um, Guido, you are a self-proclaimed eighth generation Roman with a passion for cooking, as you said, a food editor, and what I might say was a culinary naturalist. You mentioned how when you were young, your father used to take you around to the Roman countryside on these weekend excursions to find local cheeses, wines, to see how local food was traditionally cooked, and that you amazingly learned to recognize the different scents of wild herbs. So to me... Scents are a huge thing. They evoke such nostalgia. I, for example, cannot smell orange or lemon blossoms without being instantly transported to Sorrento in the springtime. Um, I'm immediately a teenager again, walking through the streets arm in arm with my stepfather (laughs) near our home there. And you mentioned that due to these experiences with your father, certain herbs are distinctive of the Roman countryside, quote, especially when the sun comes out after a summer storm. This was very touching to me. Um, To you, this was a really incredible education. So how do these childhood experiences really get at the heart of what you do? Well, there's obviously a a very direct link between that experience as early early in life and what we do today. the the wonderful aromas of um, the local herbs are the same when uh, storm is over, and there's there's nothing like, especially in early summer uh, or midsummer. There's a, there's a sudden storm, and uh, you can smell the uh, the Roman mint, for instance, and you smell it often when you take a, a hike around here, take a little walk. Because you step on it, so you smell it all the time. And it's a very distinctive smell. Some people might have uh, been to Rome and had food that uh, um, had that herb in it, like the famous Zarichoks, or Chofila Romana. And, um, and that's a distinctive smell of the Roman countryside. And I would also add the, uh, the wild fennel, which is another one. You can definitely smell all these uh, after the storms. Uh, and that's, uh, that's because it's been... It's been some rain, and then the sun is out again, and the sun is really acting like how would how would you call itself like a um, uh, enhancer like, of, yeah. <laughs> of all these uh, <laughs> yes heats up the the herbs. So uh, 
so you can uh, smell it everywhere, and that's that's fantastic. But also, my dad used to teach me how to recognize uh, some edible uh, herbs, and that's why that's always been a passion for me. Foraging is uh, one of my great passions. So uh, I knew how to pick the wild asparagus when it was the right uh, time of the year, uh, and other herbs uh, that are edible, they're beautiful. Um, I know many, and uh, maybe pick about 12 of them often in all different seasons, and uh, we might serve them. I might get people to taste them. Uh, sometimes I take, I get people to pick them and recognize them as well. We do a little bit of uh, kind of uh, wild herb recognition as well during our walks and tours. So that's um, that's a lot of fun too. That's also very very important. Um, uh, part of my life, to be honest. Yeah, it's a really beautiful story. So what nostalgic memories or what smells and aromas do you hope that people will close their eyes and remember when they leave Italy after experiencing Convivio Rome and your special tours? Um, I would say probably, again, the, the mint we've been talking about because I get people to... <laughs> to uh, to, to, you know, to, to smell, to smell. Mm. and um, but also the smell of our local olive oil, which is absolutely amazing. It's it's the smell of all those herbs combined together. It's a very herbaceous smell. Um, and I had people that uh, said, "I never olive oil never smelled like that, let alone taste like that." Um, it's almost as if it's the first time I, I've had through olive oil. And uh, in one case, this person, this family was so inspired that they went back home far away. They were from New Zealand and they started uh, their own olive grove with Italian varieties of olive trees. So they life changed completely. <laughs> um, yeah, by just... Um, appreciating and as you were saying appreciating the aromas of what's what's around here right and it, it kind of reminds me of a story of course when we lived along the amalfi coast in the springtime as i was mentioning the lemon blossoms the lemon tree farms the orange tree farms i mean the scent is just overwhelming in a an amazing way and so when we moved back to the united states what is the first thing that i did I bought a lemon tree <laughs> because exactly. I could not, and I live in Kentucky. So clearly it's not the best place to grow a lemon tree, but I could not imagine not smelling that aroma um, constantly. And so it really, I mean, you are inspired by these experiences to go home and relive it in your own way and kind of create your own story from it. And that's exactly what I want people to do with their travel experiences. So Thank you to Sally and Guido of Convivio Rome. For more information on Convivio Rome, photos from the interview, and an incredible video of the experience you will have in Tofia, this 1,000-year-old medieval village with Convivio Rome, like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Azuro Dream Travel or visit us at AzuroDreamTravel.com. So, Wanderlusters, Azuro Dream Travel can plan your sustainable dream trip to Italy by connecting you to small local businesses like Convivio Rome. Let us help you create your own Italian love story.